podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL roundtable feed. So just search EPL roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now on with the show. good boys and girls two for the podcast today is thursday the 30th of march we're almost through march and hopefully almost through this crap weather and hopefully april will bring with us bring with it some nice weather some warmer weather less rain farmers you've had enough you've had enough rain we, we don't want any more so you know, we're going to have to meet in the middle here with some decent weather for the rest of the year. And you can have your rain again from October. And if you don't live in an area where it rains all the time, more power to you. Right. Today, uh, we've got a bit of a mix of stuff. I've just seen a report from the Mail 
saying that Manchester City will invest 300 million in redeveloping the Etihad Stadium, including the increase of the capacity to about 61,000. Now, at the moment, the capacity for the Etihad is 53,400. And it's never full. And I note in the replies to this, uh, a very silly young man saying, the empty seat jokes aren't funny anymore. We've sold out absolutely every game and every competition this season. Bayern was sold out in less than an hour. We need more seats now. So that's fair enough, other than the fact that nothing you said there is true. The stadium has thousands of empty seats for every single game. And the reason City are able to announce that every game is sold out is because corporations in Abu Dhabi, owned by the owners of Manchester City, buy those tickets, and I mean buy those tickets, so that they can claim a sellout, so that they can, well, juice their numbers. There is a reason why every Friday City try and get try and give thousands of tickets to schools for free. There's a reason for that. It's because you can't sell out your stadium. So that's why people make the jokes. Because your stadium's never full. Bayern might have sold out in an hour, but that's a Champions League quarterfinal game. If your stadium didn't sell out in an hour, I'd be really, really concerned. Anfield sells out in about half an hour for any major European game. That is just a dreadful take from that young man. Another dreadful take is this thing that I saw yesterday. Been having a friendly discussion about the GOAT Premier League 11. Here is mine. Tried to be unbiased. Honest thoughts and reactions. He's gone for Peter Schmeichel in goal. There's a case for Schmeichel without question. He's picked Andy Robertson at left back. There's no case for Andy Robertson to be the left back. He's gone with Virgil van Dijk. He certainly has a case to be in the team. He's gone with Rio Ferdinand who has no case to be in the team. Rio Ferdinand is the fourth best Manchester United centre-back of the Premier League era. Yap Stam, Nemanja Vidic, Gary Pallister. The only thing Rio has on them is longevity. As a defender, he's not a patch on any of them. He's put John Terry as his right-back, which is just bananas. And his logic was... Before people mention it, I haven't put a right back in simply because no one deserves it. Trent can maybe get there by the end of his career if he shapes up. Well, Trent, in his first season at Liverpool as an 18-year-old, was a better right back than John Terry would ever be. John Terry was dog slow and would get absolutely tortured playing right back. Chelsea, for my money, had the best right back in Premier League history in Branislav Ivanovic. You can make a case for Gary Neville 
based on longevity and success. But I would go with Ivanovic. Now, what I would say was the two best fullbacks of the Premier League era were both left-backs, Dennis Irwin and Ashley Cole. Dennis Irwin also played quite a lot of right-back. So if you want to just pick a right-back, just play Dennis Irwin there and play Ashley Cole as the left-back. John Terry wouldn't get in as a centre-back either. He's the third-best Chelsea centre-back of the Premier League era behind Ricardo Carvalho and Marcel Desailly, both of whom held his hand and made him look better than he was. Um, Virgil and Stam. The more I think about it, Virgil and Stam are the two best centre-backs the Premier League has seen. With a strong case for Paul McGrath, a really strong case for Paul McGrath, a really strong case for Tony Adams, a really strong case for Saul Campbell, a strong case for Carvalho, a strong case for Vidic, a strong case for Company, a strong case for Gary Pallister, underrated by all, but a strong case for Martin Keown as a defender, purely as a defender. Martin Keown was not a good footballer, but he was a tremendous defender. The others were all great defenders and great footballers. But if I'm picking an all-time Premier League back four, it's Irwin, Stam, Virgil, Ashley Cole. That's what I would go with. Goalkeeper, Schmeichel definitely has a case. David Seaman, who's often overlooked, he has a case. I think Petr Cech was probably the top choice until Alison Becker came into town. Alison Becker is the most complete goalkeeper the Premier League has seen. In all aspects, Alison is world-class. There's no weak point to his game. Shot-stopping, one-on-ones, command of his area, dealing with crosses and distribution, Alisson is world-class across the board. Schmeichel, distribution with his feet was poor, but he could throw the ball half the length of the pitch. Commanded his area, great one, unbelievably good 1v1, great shot stopper. But distribution would let him down because he struggled with the ball at his feet. Could take a mean penalty, though. David Seaman, distribution lets him down. He wasn't the best 1v1. Brilliant shot stopper, great command, great on the high ball, but distribution would let him down. Petr Cech, again, distribution, not the strongest suit. Shot stopper, probably the best the Premier League has seen over De Gea, who I'd have second in that particular category. But again, distribution. And at times, could be a little hesitant 1v1. I think the Stephen Hunt injury did take a, take some of the fearlessness out of him. When Petr Cech first came to the Premier League, he was like nothing we'd seen before. He was like an alien. He was freakishly good in all areas, bar the distribution side. He was never quite the same after the head injury, but he was still great. Pre-injury, he probably was on track to rival rival Buffon as the best ever. 
Um, David De Gea, great shot stopper, no command of his box, poor on the high ball, mediocre distribution, average 1v1. Shot stopping, phenomenal. I think Allison is the best overall goalkeeper the league has seen, so that's why he'd get my pick. Uh, in midfield, this catastrophe continues with Gerrard as the holding midfielder, despite being atrocious defensively. Lampard as the central midfielder, despite being atrocious defensively. And Kevin De Bruyne as the number 10. Uh, this is a nonsense. A, a Premier League midfield three is easy to pick. It's Keane, it's Vieira, and it's Gerrard. You sit Keane and, and Vieira as a double pivot. You put Gerrard as your 10. Job done, nothing more to discuss. Mo Salah is the best right winger the league has seen. That doesn't need to be debated. And on the, in terms of the other two forward spots, based on what he did while he was in the league, Luis Suarez deserves consideration, but he wasn't in the league for long enough. So we're going to rule Suarez out. You've got three players for two positions. You've got Shearer, you've got Henri, and you've got Cristiano. Wayne Rooney, for me, just misses out. Because Wayne Rooney, if you look at his career, by 26, Wayne Rooney was no longer an elite player. He had one good season after that. But I just don't think you can justify putting him in. Now, I would say you probably go Henri as the nine. Christian, because Henri has to be in. I, I was wrong. It's not three for two spots. It's two for one spot. Henri is in. The question is, do you play him as your nine or do you play him off the left? Do you play him as a nine? Cristiano is the pick on the left. Do you play Henri on the left? Shearer is the pick through the middle. Now, I would say you go Henri through the middle, Cristiano on the left. So, Allison, Irwin, Stam. Virgil, Ashley Cole, Keenan Vieira. There's no debate over this. You can stop throwing in your Yaya Toure's and your Cesc Fabregas's and your N'Golo Cantes. They're not of that level. They're just not. They're the two. Then it's Gerard, Salah, Cristiano, and Thierry Henry. There's your all-time Premier League eleven. Moving forward, the. Premier League have announced the 15-man shortlist for the next inductions into the Hall of Fame. There's currently 16 players in, and Alex Ferguson and Arsene Wenger are going in as the first managers. The next class will only include three players, and voting is now open on the Premier League's official website. Steven Gerrard, Thierry Henry, Alan Shearer, Paul Scholes, Frank Lampard, they're all in among others. This year, the nominees are Tony Adams has to be in. Has to be in. Saul Campbell has to be in. Michael Carrick will definitely get in. Petr Cech will definitely get in. Andy Cole will get in. Ashley Cole has to be in. Jermaine Defoe, I don't believe, is a Hall of Famer. I don't think Jermaine Defoe is a Hall of Fame player. 
I think he's been rewarded for longevity. I don't think he was an elite player. For me, not an elite player. A good goal scorer, but I'm not having him as a Hall of Famer. You look at his time at Spurs. Joins in a January. First full season, 22 goals in 44 games in all competitions, but only 13 in the Premier League. The next season, nine. Then 10. Then 12. Then 10. 18. 4. 11. 11. Like, are we really buying that this is a Hall of Fame striker? Did pretty well at Sunderland, obviously, back-to-back 15-goal seasons. But for me, he just doesn't have the numbers to warrant Hall of Fame consideration. As a Premier League player, he's just not there for me. I'm not having Jermaine Defoe as a Hall of Famer. Les Ferdinand, I think there's definitely a very strong case in the 90s. After Shearer and Wright, he's probably the third best striker in the league. 92-93, 20 goals, then 16-24, 25-16. That's a hell of a five-year run. Went to Spurs and he dropped off. But the thing with Les Ferdinand that people always forget is that by the time the Premier League started... Les Ferdinand was 26 years of age. So he was a late bloomer in football. He didn't join QPR until he was 21. I would have Les Ferdinand in without question over Jermaine Defoe. And I think Ferdinand offered more to his team with his hold-up play, his link play, the work rate. He was also hampered badly by a back injury when he was at Spurs. But he almost fired Newcastle to the Premier League title. So I would have a strong case for Les Ferdinand. Rio will get in, but he shouldn't get in in this vote. Robbie Fowler, he'll get in and he should get in, but he shouldn't get in on this vote. I think there's a very strong case for Gary Neville to get in this vote. Certainly a stronger case than his teammate Rio Ferdinand. Uh, Michael Owen... He will get in. He should get in. I wouldn't put him in on this vote. But I do think people forget just how special he was. I really do think people forget just how special Michael Owen was when he first broke through at Liverpool. He came into the league as a 17-year-old and immediately looked like one of the best players in the league. 18 goals in his first full Premier League season. He had only played two games in the league before that, he played two games at the end of the previous season, scored one goal. 18, 18, 11, but he missed a bunch through injury. 16, 19, 19, 16. Then obviously he went to Real Madrid, comes back to the Premier League with Newcastle and is injured constantly. Best tally after that was 11. Owen's career at Liverpool, there's a seven-year run where that's Owen's case for getting in. One of the seasons, obviously, he misses a bunch of games through injury when when his hamstring exploded. But 
I, I just, Michael Owen has to be in and, and will get in. Whether he gets in on this vote or not, I don't know. John Terry, like Ferdinand, probably gets in on this vote, but shouldn't. Yaya does deserve to get in, but not not yet. Not on this vote. Uh, Yaya Toure will get in. Shouldn't get in on this vote. And Nemanja Vidic will get in, but it won't be this vote. If I'm picking three off this list, Adams and Campbell are absolute no-brainers. And I think the third one I go with is Ashley Cole. But it really annoys me that Dennis Irwin isn't up for this. It really annoys me. Because if this is the list of 15 and three get in this year, will it be the same group next year and another three will get in and the same the following year? I I think this has been badly done and I don't like the fact that the public are voting on it. There should be a panel that are voting on this because this will lead to bias. United fans will vote in their hordes for Rio Ferdinand who does not have as good a case as Nemanja Vidic, as Saul Campbell, as Tony Adams. He doesn't even have as good a case as John Terry. Rio is the worst centre-back on that list. And it isn't really close. That doesn't mean he was a bad centre-back, but he wasn't a great centre-back. Adams was great. Campbell was great. Vidic was borderline great. Terry was good to very good. Rio was just good. Adams, Campbell, and Ashley Cole, they're the ones I would go for off that list. Now, I can definitely see a strong case for Andy Cole, given the goals that he plundered for Newcastle and then for United. But he only has that one big season that first Premier League season that he played with Toon, having come up with them, he bangs in 34 in 40 games. Now, remember, there was more games in the league back then. But that was a pretty incredible season. At United, he would have scored more, but he was being rotated a fair bit, and he obviously had issues with his finishing at times. But Ashley Cole... Saul Campbell and John Terry, to me, if you're picking an all-time English eleven from the Premier League era, well, that's your left-back and your two centre-backs. Campbell and Adams are the two best English centre-backs of the last 50 years. Gary Neville is probably the Premier League era right-back. Some people will say Kyle Walker, not for me. Neville... Campbell, Adams, and and Cole will be your your back four. Um, So those three should be the three that get in. I don't expect them to be, though. Uh, Before we go to questions, I thought we'd have a quick look at bad football takes, if any nonsense. Uh, We've got some very stupid young man claiming that Marcus Rashford has been better than Neymar for the last two years. Uh, Marcus Rashford was awful last season. Now, I'm not a fan of Neymar. He's incredibly gifted. Maybe, maybe top three most talented players I've ever seen. He's wasted most of his career and he's always injured. He's a part-time footballer and has been since he went to PSG. But Neymar was better than Rashford last season. Rashford this season, fair enough. Uh, AFC... 
AFC Gabist. You can always tell by someone's name what type of crap content they're going to be putting out. Mad how we have two DMs better than Casemiro. He's got Jorginho and a fellow who should be staring at the inside of a prison cell. Uh, Casemiro on a bad day is better than both of them. Uh, Goran. I won't even give you his handle because you don't need to see this crap. Veghorst is much better all-round player than Harry Kane and Victor Osman. Trust the process. I think you should trust your doctors and take the damn medication. CFC mod, this guy is just hilariously dumb. Frank Lampard was not only better than Oli and Arteta as a footballer, he obviously was, quite significantly so, but he's also a better manager, we are undoubtedly clear. Uh, That was posted in November of 2020, and if I'm not mistaken, Frank was sacked in January of 2020. So that worked out well. Um, this this kid is one of these weird guys who puts an X instead of a vowel. So Isane nineteen one v two. He's a clown, and this is his combined Liverpool Manchester United eleven. De Gea in goal, so you know he's he's high or something. Varane, Shaw, and Robertson as a back three. There's not enough glue in the world that you could sniff to make you think that was a good idea. Fernandez, Casemiro, and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain as the midfield three. Salah, Gakpo, and Rashford behind the striker. I don't actually mind that. And Voot Veghorst as the nine. Uh, United Cynical. He is quote-tweeting the Liverpool lineup for Liverpool versus Manchester United. What Casemiro is about to do to that midfield shouldn't be televised. How'd that one work out, buddy? 7-0, was it? Uh, Liban LDV, the new Rio and Vidic. It's a picture of a garden gnome and what looks like Raphael Varane's dad. 7-0, lads, 7-0. Uh, it looks like my friends at Bad Football Takes have been having some time away from the internet because the last one they've got then is Haaland, absolute pen merchant by that absolute weapon, Paddy Murphy. Um, Paddy, just stop. Please, for the love of God, just stop. Bad enough you annoyed most of the Liverpool fan base gloating about getting a free ticket to Liverpool United. That was bad enough. You don't need to have all of the football world laughing at you. Seriously. Right. We will do the quick bit of news and then we'll go to break and then we'll come back with our questions. Uh, There's a brilliant article. It's not football related. It's Gaelic football related. There's a brilliant article on the BBC website written by George Wright called The Unlikely Rise of Gaelic Football on the Fields of Cambodia. Give that a read. Phenomenally good stuff. Uh, Fabio Paratici, Tottenham MD, banned worldwide. Spurs seek clarification. What clarification do you need? He's 
crap at his job. This is a chance for you to get rid of him without paying him any compensation. Move him on down the road and get someone good to do that job because he is dreadful. He took Juventus, one of the best-run clubs in the world, and he turned them into a dumpster fire. That's what he did. And since joining you, he has signed some good players, the three best of whom came from the club he was already at, or two of them came directly from there. One one he had sold to Atalanta because he's just that silly. Get rid. Uh, Chris Wood will miss the rest of the season. Forrest have been absolutely walloped with injury issues this season. Absolutely walloped with injury issues. Brennan Johnson is currently a doubt. Awani is injured. Czech Koyate is injured. Scarpa has got that weird thing going on where he got scammed. AU is a doubt. Aurier is a doubt. There's just on and on premier injuries. Currently, Forrest have 15 players who are out or a doubt for this weekend. That's five more than Chelsea and seven more than anyone else. And a lot of the Chelsea ones are players who are 50-50. Kai Havertz, he's ill. Aspilicueta, he got that injury a month ago, but he should be back. It was a boot in the face. Uh, Mason Mount, he'll be back. Mendy's back. Sterling is back in training. Aubameyang is largely because they don't want to play him. Fafana should be back this weekend. Reese James should be back. So their real number is probably like five. Whereas with Forrest, Willie Volley, done for the year. Dean Henderson, another month. Aurier should be back this weekend. So should AU. So should Hennessy. Scarpa, God knows. McKenna, he's probably a couple of weeks away. Awani's back in training but very little chance he's going to play in the next week or two. Koyate finally back in training, but he's been out for so long, it's going to take a while to work him back in. Chris Wood, being Coney, Omar Richards, no return dates. And then their, their real number is probably 10. 15 is players that you know had a knock or a niggle or the illness or whatever. But they've probably got 10. Most clubs will have four or five real injuries at this point. They've probably got 10. Um, the Women's Champions League quarterfinal second leg, two of them took place <clears throat> last night. Barcelona hammered Roma 5-0. Sorry, 5-1. Really impressive. They won 1-0 away in the first leg. Uh, they came and won 5-1 in this one. And then Arsenal defeated Bayern Munich in the other game, having been uh, 1-0 down from the first leg. They came back last night and won 2-0 to go through. We do have two games tonight in the other quarterfinals. Uh, Chelsea host Lyon. Chelsea have a 1-0 lead from the first leg. And Wolfsburg 
host Paris Saint-Germain and Wolfsburg also have a 1-0 lead. So congrats to Barca and Arsenal. And um, uh, Lyon have been so strong over the last five, six years, but Chelsea generally seem to be the cream of the crop in England. I think I'd back Lyon tonight, though. And then Wolfsburg, I'm going to stick with them. They're at home. They've got the one in the lead. I'll go with them. Uh, I have no idea how those games are going to work out. Uh, Marco Silva and Alexander Mitrovic regret their actions after red cards. They're still to be banned. We're still to hear what the suspension for um, Mitrovic will be. Chris Sutton has said Mitrovic should get a 10-game ban. I think that's nonsense. Um, Keith Hackett is a, is a clown, was a terrible referee. Uh, he said that it should not be 10 games. I think five is fair. I think five is fair. And he didn't push him. He didn't assault him. He grabbed his arm. Simple as that. He grabbed his arm to try and get his attention because the referee was ignoring him. Five games is fair. Right, we'll go to break. When we come back, we have one, two, three, four, five, five questions. Alex, I'm not going to get to yours today. I'm going to try and do it for tomorrow. But we'll be back after this. Now, sorry, but some fucking dickhead comes to the door to deliver some parcel that's not for me. And I'm like, I don't know where that person lives. <clears throat> and he's like, I, I was like, I think they're down the hill you've just come up. I think they live at the bottom of it. Because mm. you need two houses on the hill I don't know, on the lane I don't know where those two, two houses down there. And he's like, all right, could you drop it down to them? And I was like, No. And he's like, but I'm not going back down that way. I'm going to go out the other end because I'm going to Bailiabur. And I was like, I'm still not taking it and dropping it down. And he goes, right. So I close the door and I see him leave it on my doorstep. And I go mm-hmm. back. I was like, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm going to text him and tell him I left it here. I'll just take it down. Why did he go to your house in the first place? <laughs> I have no idea. Genuinely no idea. I'd say he might have called in next door and there was nobody there. Because when you come up the top of the hill, the first two houses are behind big sets of gates that are always closed. You need like a key or a fob to get through. Mm. We couldn't go in there. The next house then, he's a, he works, he's a farmer, so he's away down the field somewhere. The house across the lane, I wouldn't imagine you'd go up to it because the the dogs, even though the dogs are very friendly, they bark like fuck yeah. and they sound really intimidating. So I wouldn't imagine he wants you up there. And then I'm the next house. So I'd say he kind of just thought, oh, well, I'll just go in here and get this fucking idiot to drop it down. I was like, I'm not taking it. He's like, yeah, but I'm just going to leave it there. I was like, no, you're not. He's like, I am. I'm just going to text him and tell him it's here. I was like, I don't want someone coming to my house looking for a parcel. 
oh, just leave it outside. I was like, it's going to piss rain. The thing will be fucking destroyed. Well, I'm not taking it back. I was like, yeah, you are. So I just picked it up. <laughs> what does he take it? He hasn't taken it there. He hasn't taken That's it back it. anywhere. I just opened the back of his hand and put it in. He's like, I'm not taking that. I was like, you're the courier. And I'm after having a big fucking row with him there now. And he's finally fucked off with his parcel. He'll probably leave it in on next door's doorstep or something. Probably. Yeah. But I don't care as long as it's not here. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> I'm good to go. Right. The recorder's still on, are you? Oh, yeah. Right. Uh, welcome back. I've realized, Alex, I was flicking through a notebook and I realized that I actually did yours. So I think I have this right. Your question that you've asked me about a month ago that I never got to was... Can you make an 11 of players who played the majority of their career in English football, but of less than 50 Premier League or First Division appearances? These should be players who had long success in the lower leagues, not players, not young players or players who lost out due to injury. I'm hopeful I have this. I'm hopeful. Goalkeeper, I'm going to go Lee Grant, who retired at the end of last season, had a long career with Derby, Burnley, Oldham, Sheffield United, Burnley again, Derby, Stoke, and Newcastle. Uh, sorry, and Manchester United. Only played thirty-one Premier League games, so he's my goalkeeper. At right back, I'm going with a back three and wing backs. So my right wing back is Stephen Wright, who played for Liverpool, <clears throat> Crew, Sunderland, Stoke, Coventry, Brentford, Hartlepool, Wrexham. Some team in Wales that I can't pronounce, another team in Wales that I can't pronounce, and a third team in Wales that I just don't want to pronounce. Um, He made 14 Premier League appearances for Liverpool and 27 Premier League appearances for Sunderland. So that's 41. So that gets him in under the threshold. My back three, I'm going... Sorry, my left wing back, I'm going to go with Danny Pugh, uh, who came through United's academy, was at Leeds, Preston, Stoke, Preston again, Leeds again, Sheffield Wednesday, Coventry, Bury, Blackpool, Port Vale, and Hanley Town. And he made one appearance for United, 24-34, 37 for Stoke. So 38 Premier League appearances. Long career from 02 all the way through to 2000, 2020. So there's your wing-backs. Centre-backs, I'm going Andre Wisdom as my first one. Uh, Liverpool, Derby, West Brom, Norwich, and Derby again. Uh, a total of 14 Premier League appearances for Liverpool, 24 for West Brom, and 10 for Norwich. That gets him to 46. He might still... I doubt it, but he might still uh, find four or five more appearances in the Premier League, but I doubt it. He's 29 now, so we're going to put him in. Uh, We're going to go Kit Simons, uh, Portsmouth, Man City, Fulham and Crystal Palace. Uh, A long career, 17 years as a pro. Been a, a coach for a long, long time now. I have confirmed this on the Premier League website, but he doesn't have 50 Premier League appearances. Next up, I'll go Sean Taylor. St. Blasey, Bidford, Exeter City, 
Swindon and Bristol City, um, I think it was 41 Premier League appearances for him. But it was definitely less than 50. Uh, my midfield two will be John Harks, United States International, 90 caps. Played for Sheffield Wednesday, Derby, West Ham and Nottingham Forest. Spent seven years or so in England, less than 50 Premier League appearances. Always liked him as a player. Um, yeah, currently the coach of the Greenville Triumph in South Carolina. Uh, partnering him in midfield will be Ian Selly. Played for Arsenal, Southend, Fulham, Wimbledon, Southend again. Woking, Lewis, Grays United, Maidstone, Croydon, Dorchester, Havant and Waterlooville, Kingstonian, Chertsey Town, um, Whiteleaf and Dial Square. Played from 92 to 2012, then came out of retirement uh, to play a couple of games a couple of years ago. Looked like he was going to be a long-term piece at Arsenal for a long time, but injuries and, and other things got in his way. He was part of the double win- cup double-winning Arsenal squad in 93. Um, <clears throat> yeah, decent player, less than 50 Premier League appearances. And then my front three, and this is where the magic happens. So, playing on the right of my front three, but they're all central nines, but I've got to stick them in. I've got Steve Claridge. Fairham Town, Bournemouth, Wymouth, Crystal Palace, Aldershot, Cambridge, Luton, Cambridge again, Birmingham, Leicester, Portsmouth, Wolves, Portsmouth again, Millwall, Weymouth, Brighton, Brentford, Wickham, Millwall again, Gillingham, Bradford, Walsall, Bournemouth again, Worthing, Harrowborough, Weymouth again, Gosford Borough, and then he came out of retirement to play one game for Salisbury when he was the uh, player manager there, or he was the manager there, just came out of retirement. Um, unbelievably long career from 83 all the way through to 2012. Now, he was player manager in a bunch of places uh, along the way, but he's the guy I'm going to go with. Uh, less than 50 Premier League appearances. Despite that career, League Cup final winning goal for Leicester. Also helped them get promoted into the Premier League. Um, So, yeah, Steve Claridge. My number nine through the middle will be Ewan Roberts, Watford, Huddersfield, Leicester, Wolves, Norwich, Gillingham and Cambridge. Uh, From 86 to 05, he had his career. Uh, 15 times capped, capped by Wales, less than 50 Premier League appearances, a, a good number nine. And then Billy Sharp is the best player, I think, in this team. Sheffield United, Rushton and Diamonds, Scunthorpe, Sheffield United again, Doncaster, Southampton, Nottingham Forest, Reading, Doncaster Rovers, Leeds, and then back to Sheffield United made his debut in the 0405 season and is still playing to this day. Uh, played 41 times in the Premier League for Sheffield United when they're up the last time. Had played two games in the Premier League for Southampton. So that gives him 43 
Premier League appearances, given he is age 37, he might well decide to stick around one more year if Sheffield United come up, which might bring him over the 50-game mark. Uh, And if so, unfortunately, he will become uh, ineligible for this team. But for now, Billy Sharp is in and he is the captain. Uh, And that's that question. So I hope, Alex, that one is answered for you and you're happy enough. Uh, Sorry it took me so long. Right. Uh, Falk 1977, question for the pod. The Premier League recently released a compilation of the best EPL and EFL goals from players from many different nations who have played in the league. It was a collaboration, collection of ridiculous goals and not, and got me thinking. You often use the word worldy for some goals. Two-part question. What separates a worldie from a great goal? And who are your top EPL players who tended to score worldies but had otherwise lacklustre scoring records or didn't contribute much but had a lot of big moments? I mean, the the ultimate worldie goal scorer is Matt Letizia. And Matt Letizia, if you take out worldies and penalties, he probably had a fairly lacklustre goal scoring record across the years. Steven Gerrard was another who epitomized the worldy goal. And again, if you take out worldies and penalties, probably fairly lackluster on the whole, despite everything else that he did. What separates a worldy from just a great goal is, I suppose, we see a lot of great volleys. Let's just take volleys, for example. But there are some that stick in your head years after the fact. I'm thinking Tony Yeboah for Leeds against Liverpool. If I say Alan Shearer volley, you all know the goal I'm thinking about. 30 yards out, on the drop, first time, buried in the in the back of the net for Newcastle. If I say Wayne Rooney volley, you think the overhead against City... You think that volley early in his United career against Newcastle. Those type of things stick in your head. Another one that's always stuck with me was Cissé at Newcastle. At Stamford Bridge, that volley from the left-hand side of the box with his right foot dipping away and over the goalkeeper. And when I mention those goals, you remember them. They stand out. A lot of great goals don't really stand out years after the fact. But I think the ones I have are ones you'll remember. Gerard in the FA Cup final. That's a half volley. But that one, like that's a worldie. That goal stands out. Ryan Giggs beating half the Arsenal team to score in the cup semi-final stands out. For me, a great goal is just a great goal. A worldie is something I'm going to remember years after. So that, that for me is the difference. Uh, but as for top EPL players who tend to score worldies, I, I would go Letizia and Gerard Because I don't think they ever fully lived up to what they could have been as goal scorers. Now, in Gerard's case, it was because he was been asked to do so much other stuff. Letizia's case was because he stayed at Southampton for so long. 
And I hate to give him any praise because he's an absolute doorknob, but he did score a lot of worldies. Worldies and penalties are Matt Letizia's bag. Um, AMK28. Oh, Andros. Somebody mentioned Andros Townsend. There's a shout. Andros Townsend cutting in on his left foot and unleashing absolute hellfire at the goal from 40 yards. They're worldies, but they're not. He didn't score many other ones. Um, A few questions about Mourinho and his Porto team. Do you think we'll ever see a rise to the top for a manager in the way Mourinho did in the early 2000s of Porto? Could he have been that dominant with Sporting or Benfica at the time? With everything that he won with Porto, was it more down to being a great manager or could another top manager's time have won what he did? Finally, did that Porto team overachieve at all or were they a team that should have been competing? They overachieved. No, they overachieved 100%. It's a very good team, but it's his genius. It's his man management. It's his ability to get motivation. It's his ability to create that siege mentality. Undeniably, that Porto team overachieved. They weren't the best team in the Champions League that season, not even close, but they went and won it. I don't know that they were a better team than Celtic the year before and they beat them in the UEFA Cup. Um, They definitely overachieved. Could he have had that dominance with Sporting and Benfica? Not with Sporting, but yes, with Benfica, because Benfica had the same type of financial power as Porto. Sporting did not. Um, Benfica had a, a good team at the time and had the ability to attract the same type of players that Porto did. As for do we think another manager could do it? Uh, no, not with that team. I think he was one of one. I, I think he's, I think he's one of the most special managers we've ever seen. And I think much of it was his ability to just connect with players on on a human level and convince them that they could do anything at all, but also have them walking on eggshells, knowing that he didn't care if they were in the team or not. So they were all fighting for their places while all believing then as a collective unit that they could achieve anything in the world. His ability to create that siege mentality was what was special. Did it at Porto, did it at Chelsea, did it at Inter. Tried to do it at Real, but it didn't work at Real because you can't create an underdog mentality when you're the biggest dog in the yard. Didn't work at Real. Fell out with some of the players who weren't willing to buy in. Still won a league title though. I think he's unbelievable. Um, we've seen Ferguson do it. He did it with Aberdeen. Won the Scottish League. Won the Cup Winners' Cup. Not to the same extent as Mourinho, but he did it. Um, I think we will see someone do it again. I just have no idea who that will be. Here on or 99 do you think we win the league in 0102 had Julien not taken ill? Or were Arsenal just too good that season? I think I think we finished where we should have finished, to be honest. I think we were the second best team. I think we deserved to finish second. That Arsenal team were better than us. I think they deserve to win the league. Could we get a realistic pod on squad options, depth and transfers, or rather than the unrealistic, speculation of having. I assume that's based on today's Daily Red. Um, Most top teams, I think, do have two players for every position. I think they do. Uh, But yeah, sure, I'll do that. Um, I'll do that maybe tomorrow. 
on the Daily Red. Uh, Keemstar. Um, I know you love getting content with BBC. Their podcast with Lineker, Shearer and Micah Richards did a top 10 Premier League midfielders recently. The list was Scholes, Lampard, Gerrard, Keane, Vieira, Fabregas, David Silva, Yaya Toure, N'Golo Kante and Kevin De Bruyne. Can you rank them in a top 10? I can. Um... My top five is Gerard Keane, Vieira, Scholes, and De Bruyne. I'm just not sure of the order yet. But number six would be Yaya. Number seven would be Lampard. Number eight would be Silva. Number nine would be Kante. And number 10 would be Sesk. Number five would be Scholes. Number five is... De Bruyne. Number four is Skulls. Three is Vieira. Two is Keane. One is Gerard. There you go. And the last question is from Gary. And Gary asks... Uh, an all-time Liverpool eleven. Of Great Britain and Irish lads against the rest of the world 11. Right. I'll do these simultaneously. We'll pick them as we go. Goalkeeper. Allison is the best rest of the world. Ray Clemens is the best British goalkeeper. Uh, we're going to go Trent right back for the English team. We're going to go... Marcus Babel for the others. Steve Nickel left back. I'm going to go, yeah, British, British team, British and Irish. So Nickel. I'm going to go Lawrence and Hansen. Left back for the other team. I'll come back to that. The centre-backs will be Virgil and Sammy. The British midfield will go Gerrard, Sunes, And McMahon, Gerard and Sunes in the middle, McManam in one wing, Barnes the other, and Kenny and Rush up front. So our Great Britain and Irish team is Ray Clements, Trent, Lawrenson. Was Phil Thompson better than Lawrenson, though? He probably was. Do you know what? Emlyn Hughes is probably a little bit too early. Now, do you know what? I'm going to go Lawrence and Hansen because I like partnerships. So Clements, Trent, Lawrence and Hansen, Nickel. 
McManaman, and Gerard, Sunes, Barnes, Kenny and Rush. Uh, our other team, the front three is going to be Salah, Suarez, and Mane. Our midfield three will be Alonso, Mascherano, and Thiago, because I think he is one of the best players I've ever seen play for the club. Our left-back is an issue, though, because we've had an awful lot of crap left-backs over the years. I am going to say... See, Christian Zika didn't have the career at Liverpool. We're going to go with Guy Drinkle's pick to annoy people. We're going to pick Albi Moreno. Because Fabio Aurelio, just, he's not for me. Alisson, Babel, Sammy, Virgil, Moreno... No, do you know what? I can't do that. I can't. Sorry, guy. I can't. I just no. He's just a no. Um, John Arnorisa is the pick. Yeah, John Arnorisa. Alison Babel, Sammy Virgil, Risa, Alonso, Mascherano, Thiago, Salah, Suarez, and Manic. There you go. Right. We'll run through the gossip. West Ham midfielder Declan Rice is Arsenal's top target and there is growing confidence they can beat competition from Chelsea, Man City and Manchester United. City aren't interested. I doubt United are. Chelsea are. He's a better fit at Chelsea than he is at Arsenal. Real Madrid have made Jude Bellingham the priority signing but are also interested in Rhys James. I would bet they end up with neither. Manchester United are monitoring both Randall Colomoyani and Rasmus Hoysland in case they are priced out of a move for Harry Kane. I think they end up with Colo Mouani. I think it's going to be a mistake. United could miss out on signing Marcel Sabitzer as Thomas Tuchel may decide to keep him. Julian Nagelsmann and Maurizio Pochettino are open to succeeding Antonio Conte. Both managers will have to wait and see if the Real Madrid job becomes available. This is 90minutes.com. This is probably Graham Bailey, Spoofer. Former Spain boss Luis Enrique would like to manage in the Premier League with a team that is able to do important things. He's lining himself up to be the next Chelsea manager, in my view. Because the reason I think Chelsea will go for him is he'll be cheaper. And I think he's probably an easier fit for what they need than Nagelsmann, who can be quite finicky. Um, LK Gundogan is ready to leave Man City and join Barcelona on a free at the end of the season. That's been going around. We'll wait and see. Barcelona will press ahead for a deal with Gundogan after reaching a verbal agreement to sign Inigo Martinez. I assume he's on a free this summer as well. Newcastle want to sign Andreas Christensen from Barcelona. He'd be a great fit. Him and Botman would actually be a really good pair. Eddie Howe is pushing to sign Scott McTominay. That is quite an Eddie Howe signing. Barcelona will face competition from Arsenal and Chelsea for Vitor Roque. Yeah, I think he probably ends up at one of the English clubs, to be honest, because Barca have no money. Man City and Paris Saint-Germain have made opening bids for Hajduk Split 16-year-old Croatian defender Luka Vuskovic, super highly talented, super highly rated, going to be expensive, I think, even at 16. Spanish goalkeeper David De Gea has turned down United's first offer of a new deal. Interesting. Marcus Rashford has dismissed reports he wants a new deal worth 500,000 a week to stay at United as complete nonsense. Anybody could tell that was nonsense. United are planning to step up talks at Rashford before the end of the season. They better get a hurry on the season nearly over. 
Brighton want to sign Japan midfielder Rio Hatete from Celtic. Uh, this is tagged as an exclusive for Football Insider and Fraser Fletcher, who's a spoofer. Kavicha Kalachkelia is set to sign a new five-year deal to stay at Napoli long-term. That's great news for everybody. The Seagulls, those being Brighton, are set to offer Evan Ferguson a new contract. That's very smart. The father of Ansu Fati wants his son to leave the club. Yeah, we went over that yesterday, and I did the city thing with the uh, stadium expansion. And that's all I've got for today, folks. Thanks, as always. Bye-bye. Podcast Network. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. 